Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show, and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show, another exciting uh, uh, episode. I have, uh, I believe, uh, the queen of funk uh, on the phone with me today. Uh, she is the uh, uh, creator of The Bride of Funkenstein. Her name is Don Silva, and I'm so honored to have you on the show, darling. How are you? I'm fine, Philippe. How are you today? And, and I'm I'm very honored to be on your show today. I, well, I'm more honored to have you on. We sound like those chipmunks on the Buzz Bunny Roadrunner show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. No, really, I'm honored. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Um, I am uh, uh, all about the funk. Uh, Peace Funk is my um, uh, anthem. Uh, and uh, so when I found out, that you were uh, my neighbor, literally here in Sacramento. I said, "Oh my okay. God, I've got to have, I got to have this gal on the show." And uh, we had a great conversation. And listen, you have some stuff going on that I don't think the public knows about that needs to know about because you guys are still rocking, still kicking much butt. Uh, but you have uh, some stories to tell before we go into all of the stuff with the Brides of Funkenstein and, and uh, George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. How did you guys hook up? How did you meet these guys? How did you uh, uh, get, well, get in the band and all of that? Well, first of all, I'm glad that we're neighbors here in Sacramento. Sacramento uh, has a lot of funky surprises, uh, you know, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of talented people live right here in, this, uh, in, the, in the land of trees, as they call it, the city of trees. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, so yeah, you know, and then the brides of Funkenstein again were always like Funk's best kept secret. Now the way we got started actually is uh, gotta go from the beginning. Is we were working with uh, Sly and the Family Stone. Okay. And uh, Sly Stone actually had a guest act spot with P Funk, and uh, we were invited, and that's how we uh, we were brought to that whole Parliament Funkadelic camp. Was through Sly Stone. Wow! So that so you you've been funking for a long, long time. Long, long time. <laughs> long time. <laughs> long time. Long time. Long, long yeah, they, time. Long. So you just went from one funk to a to a new funk. That's all. You know, and, and new funk. You know, well, you know, funk is forever coming. It's it's a uh, you can't stop the spirit at all. You know, when it comes to move through your soul all the way to your to the bone marrow in, in your in your in your uh in your bones. You, you you can't change it, you can't stop it, you can't control it. It's gonna always be there, no matter what. Absolutely. You know what's interesting, uh and and uh you would probably be the expert to speak on this, and that is when funk hit uh in the seventies, uh it basically changed uh music forever. And uh you were obviously right in the middle of it. How, what, what did you see? 
What did you see and how was was that? I was blessed, actually. In the beginning, you're in the eye of the storm, so, excuse me, you really don't know what's going on around you. You have no idea that you're actually part of this creative circle, you know, because you're right in the middle of it. And you you can feel the energies, and and it feels really good, and you know something great is going to happen. You just can't predict what or when or how, but... Sly Stone, Sly and the Family Stone are basically the nucleus, and that's where I came in in terms of changing the face of uh, popular music forever. They, they did that, and I just was blessed to have the opportunity to start off from going straight out of my mother's garage to Sly Stone, so uh, I didn't have to go through all of the uh, paying all the dues and the, the trials and tribulations that so many artists and groups have to do before they even get to that point, mm-hmm. point of... Uh, mm-hmm. of uh, the pinnacle of success. I, I actually stepped right into it at where, where Sly was at the top of the peak of his career and went from there. So I was blessed. I had a lot of help, a lot of, a lot of my funky friends, so to speak, going from Sly straight into P-Funk. And we actually went on a, a, a winter tour was the first one, and you're talking the first show was in Houston, Texas on October 31st, 1976. I'll never forget it. Um, and we were the special guest act, and we did a handful of shows before uh, Sly pulled out of the tour because it really wasn't his market. Sly was stepping into just mostly all general genres. He crossed all barriers, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking country and western, pop, jazz, blues, folk, funk, R&B, gospel. Sly can work in any of those arenas. So we went from... Uh, the brides, actually myself, Lynn Mabry, and Dawn, to being blessed to work in all of those those genres before we even got to PFAW. So I think mean, there's so much history and there's so much time. I'm, I'm giving you like a, you know, the the, the short, you know, <laughs> this little, a little capsule, a little brief moment <laughs> in history. Yeah, I'm giving you the little short stories here, but there's just so much that that the fans do not know, as you said well, earlier. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you you see uh, these great performers and you see these phenomenal performances and you buy this incredible music and uh, it becomes a defining factor uh, of of your life and the memories that you that you carry with it. And we all assume that when we are experiencing uh, an artist uh, that you know, they are on top of the world. Everything is going uh, right uh, because it's truly your gift is making us feel that way. But that wasn't necessarily the case with you uh, and uh, and and uh, 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 Lynn. So could you talk a little bit about it? And I know you're working on a book. Is that right? Yes. Um, <clears throat> wow, you asked me so many years. <laughs> like, which one do I start? Lynn Mabry, uh my my funk sister and uh we started together as I said with with Sly she she's actually I believe uh, from Vallejo and Sly Stone was Lynn's cousin they were related so um, when I got to Sly I mean she was already there or she came in after I had worked with Sly for maybe about a year in mm-hmm. the studio and we didn't go out on tour for a while actually we were woodshedding which means that we we would rehearse me a whole a solid year on ten songs. So mm. that's why it was that's why it was so tight. It's like especially with the vocals, we had a section. Vocalists do not understand in this day and age that the best, the most perfect blend is when you sound like one voice. 
Mm. If, you hear one, if you hear one voice sticking out over the other, then that means that instrument is a little too high or too low. So mm-hmm. it's just a, a basic chord for the background sections. I mean, they, they say vocalists are singers, but we are we are musicians too because we are an instrument as well. We bring the sound of, of uh, vocal harmonies, that wall of vocal sound. That's that's uh, those are uh, that's our art form. So being with Slide for that those few years, basically what we did is rehearse, 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 rehearse. Mm-hmm. We didn't do anything or go anywhere until we we don't just jump out and just do you know improv show or ad lib or just you know every night. We actually rehearsed it until it was polished like fine china, so or fine or silver or gold. That's what we did with Slide. So going in the P funk. I didn't realize it at the time that we were already prepared by going through Sly's camp for those two years into into P Funk. And then George actually Clinton is the one that was the, the the innovator and the one that actually created the Brides of Funkenstein and he um I think he had a probably had a vision for us from day one, from the time we were singing background with Sly. He had already probably envisioned something for us that we knew nothing of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when when Sly left the tour, George came over and asked us to do some studio work with him, and that's how we got into the P Funk organization. Uh, but as a result of that, um, I remember you sharing with me that you, you thought that um, uh, you guys, the the, the Brian the Funkenstein, was you know kind of like your own thing, even though you were associated with uh, Parliament Funkadelic, but uh, that literally the powers that be. Uh, did not want you to receive any publicity uh, and pretty much kept you in the dark and tried to hide you from the rest of the world, even though the rest of the world was asking, hey, we want the Brides of Funkenstein, too. Wow, you did your homework, huh? Yeah, I did. <laughs> you, did you really did your homework. That's the first time anybody's ever asked me that in public, and now i got to answer it. Yeah, uh, you know, I, 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 I think when we were created, I think it was, George was like, had something to do at the time. We were like the new pet project, so he was just having fun with us. I really don't actually think he thought that we were going to blow up. Uh, I, I think it was just a, a way to uh, uh, maybe channel his, his his creative energy, you know, through a through a feminine aspect of us. But we we actually started blowing up. We started getting really mm-hmm. big. That mm-hmm. wasn't the plan. I really I we didn't know it then, but I do know now that that was not the plan. Parlette, Parlette was the first sister group that was born out of the P-Funk organization, and they are uh, very, very hardcore, raw sisters, and sisters can really blow, very talented. I was really in awe of Parlette because I've never really met females like them in my life. They were from Detroit, and they were the, their albums came out and blew up on its own merit. There wasn't any promotions for them at all, which I could not understand because at the time P-Funk was like, the largest group in the world. So anything that came out of that organization should have instantly been successful. Mm-hmm. But, the women, but the, the, the ladies never got the promotion. Not much. I mean, just a sprinkling of enough just in order to keep the the pigeonhole on these women, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So Paulette was mm-hmm. first. And when their, their albums did well, there was a song called Pleasure Principle that did well on the Midwest, but that was basically because the DJs took supported it, you know. Not not the management company, but the DJs that fell in love with with the groups. So when Parlette Parlette didn't Parlette did not get pushed and 
being young and very naive at that time, I didn't realize it or even think that that could possibly happen to us, too. So by the time The Brides of Frankenstein came out and we dropped a single called Disco to Go, and that was written by Bootsy uh, Collins, and the track was so funky that it just, boom, took off. And I remember uh, A&R guy over at Atlantic Records coming to the studio and saying, hey, that single is the single is selling like 100,000 units a week. It's blowing up. It's on its way to gold. They were very excited about it. Wow. But in, but in still of the funk lord, being pleased, he looked concerned. Mm. So it, it went from there, like, us to even winning music awards. Uh, Don Silva and Lynn Mabry actually, I saw on the trades, and it was a record world uh, um, uh, comment review of the album, and it actually said that the Brides of Frankenstein were basically like the number one female group, number one single, number one album. At the time, our competitors were Sister Sledge and the Pointer Sisters. I think Shaka was in there somewhere. And we were like on the top, right there, rising on the top of that green, right along with the other top-of-the-line artists of that time. Wow. We were blowing up. And we were blowing up without no promotions. So it was the, it was the fans, the funky friends and the DJs all across the the, uh, the globe actually that were so playing what, on. What do you think was the motivation behind George uh, and 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 the Parliament uh, powers that be, if you will? Uh, what do you think their motivation was in in, in keeping you girls uh, kind of uh, in a lockbox? Well, you know, I wouldn't say it was George Clinton. I would say it was Dr. Funkstein. <laughs> Dr. Falkenstein was the ultimate space pimping character, but sometimes of that would actually that re- fantasy would flip over into some reality. <laughs> whereas, whereas you know that concept about having a, you know, uh, you know having being a pimp and having your the ladies, they will never be as big as the person that actually owns and controls them. Mm-hmm. Never. You know, and it's, if you want to get really technical. Uh, a hoe is never going to be on the same level as her pimp, ever. And that's how I I started feeling, personally, in my own opinion, that's how I started feeling, like we were basically just a tax write-off to be used for economic, uh, you know, gain, and that it wasn't meant for us to blow up, not bigger than than the P-Funk, because, I mean, it was a boys' club. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. How, would that, how would it look for the females to rise above them or be even just on their equal or be even as successful was totally foolish because if we were going to be blowing up and be very, if we would have blew up and been very successful, everyone stood to gain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone, even the ultimate space panel. So, well, which is interesting because um, when, you, when you, you know, the old, old Sam Pippen ain't easy. Uh, when you when you look at that, uh, uh, you girls had the ability to make a lot of money, uh, and uh, it just seemed like it was more of a jealousy uh, scenario than a business decision. Well, I don't even know about the jealousy part. I can't even speak for that. I just know that it didn't happen. And whenever the more successful we became, the stronger the management company worked to to suppress it. Now we saw that George, uh, we, you know, we saw George on uh, uh, one of those um, shows, uh, uh, you know, like uh, Where Are They Now kind of shows, and 
uh, it's widely known that George, you know, didn't do well in money management. Um, and we've heard so many different types of stories. What, uh, how did that affect you uh, during the time that you guys were actively working with uh, people? Like I said, when you're in the eye of the storm, you're kind of like not really sure. You're always second-guessing things. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you, you don't really understand that after you win, for example, uh, the brides kind of morphed into a trio with Jeanette Magruder, and they, a.k.a. Satori Shakur is her name now, and uh, Sheila Horn, a.k.a. Amuka. <clears throat> we, the, the trio for the second album actually kind of ventured over and more into a rock funk. So we were picking up a whole different genre, a different market than, than the P-Funk at that time. Um, we had a publicist who actually presented our names to the uh, Cashbox Music, Cashbox Rhythm and Blues Awards for, and we were voted as Best New Female Artist. And at the time, no one ever thought that we would actually win, but I, I thought it was just, it was nice that we were nominated. Mm-hmm. But we actually went to that to that award show and we won. Mm. And, to the, and to this day, the Brides of Funkenstein are the only group out of that P-Funk organization to win a mainstream award. That's why I said there's so many things that people do not know. But that was actually gave us another escalation point where we should have uh, started to go higher from that point, but actually we didn't. We started going backwards because to me personally, through my experience in living that whole time, it's just it just my eyes are wide open. I actually saw, saw I started to, to digress instead of progress. And the management company had a lot to do with that because they stopped promoting us all together. All the plugs started getting pulled wow. in terms of the promotion. No publicity pictures, no publicity runs, no no in stores, no tours, no videos, no nothing. Everything got shut down. So, so. fast forward, here you are, uh, yeah. in, uh, in, in you know today's uh, standard of music, and you are still uh, selling out wherever you guys go. Well, um, it's, still, it's still a struggle. You know, you, you, when, it's still going to be a struggle when you're, you're females, basically being the, the hardcore females in, in, a, in a boys' club. It's still a boys' club out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not doing your easy listening pop, you know, single, just, you know, uh, bubblegum R&B music. So to speak. Well, but, yeah, but funk is a, is a, is a, a, I think you have like two or three generations now uh, of funk. I mean, you've got... Uh, my school that was coming up, uh, then uh, there was the old school uh, at the time that, that was loving funk. Uh, and then you have the kids uh, of the funketeers, if you will, that are coming in. So you've got kind of three generations going on that uh, one experienced you live and in person and, uh, it, you know, can't get enough of you. Uh, but then you have this new generation that's coming up that's saying, oh, my God, now I see where all of this other music is coming from. Exactly, and I mean, they don't call us funk soldiers for nothing. We're really down here in the trenches still trying to fight to keep that art form alive. And then what a lot of the fans who love funky music do not understand that there is a difference between something being funky and the funk. 
there is a difference. And so once that, that the, these fans, and I don't really call them fans because they're the same as me, we're on the same level, we're called funk soldiers. And once they understand the difference between those two art forms, they get hooked. And once a mm-hmm. funkadelic, once you're a funketeer, you're going to always be one. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. That, and I, I realize that. people because they're probably hearing it for the first time. Define the difference between the two. The difference between is like hearing a funky groove like by the average white band, a song called Play That Funky Music, White Boy. Mm-hmm. That's funky. But that's not the funk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you hear Celebrate Good Times, Celebrate Good Times, Come On, by Cooley Gang. That's funky, but that's not the funk. That's R&B. That's rhythm and blues, kind of a pop, little edge sprinkling of some funky bass lines that are totally pulled back in the track and watered down. Watered down reality is what I call it. That's funky, but it's not the funk. I mean, there's so many groups that I don't, you know, I want to mention personally, in my opinion, well, I do not want to offend in terms of when they say it's the funk. Like, I noticed that they have a lot of uh, funk festivals, and they've got groups on there that are not funky at all. (laughs) You know, I I don't get it. You know, I don't understand it. Wait a minute. Or, you know, if you're going to go get George Duke, you're going to go get Tom Brown, Jamaica Funk. I mean, come on, you can't get no funkier than that. Shock is funky. But it's not the funk. Feel me. Understood. So, Understood. Yeah, yeah, without really just like, wait a minute, what did she say? So <laughs> it's just like a... No, no, it's not, I, I it's, not any dis- it's not a disrespect. It's just a no, authenticity just, to the actual art. It's just a fact. So I'm just saying, if one day, I'm glad we're doing this premiere here because... That's what's basically what's in the book. Through my experiences uh, in this this music, in this business we call music, right? It's my experiences and what personally happened to us where you got seven of the strongest females in the business who never got really had that opportunity. But then, you know, it has come full circle where now we're, you know, we wait until we get into our 50s where it's starting to actually happen for us all over again, you know, and mm-hmm. we've been suppressed for so long. And that's what happens when somebody tells you you can't have something. Mm-hmm. Like you're not allowed mm-hmm. to have it. I mean, you may have experienced it and you had a, had a taste of it or you had a sample of it, and it was like, oh, my God, that is so delicious. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. somebody tells you for years you can't have no more. <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly. and, then all, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, I remember tasting this before. We did the uh, Long Beach Funk Festival. I guess we've, we've actually headlined or had good, a nice guest act spot there for three years in a row because there they are some promoters and people out there who will totally support us. And they know that every time we do the show, you're looking anywhere from fifteen to 25,000 people who come out to support us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, they, mm-hmm. and they get that. I mean, since they, we're not able to actually tour, and it, doesn't have a, it has a lot to do with it with the economy. It's, uh, nobody has the money to pay for big bands anymore. They don't have the mm-hmm. flights. Everything costs so much now. Uh, funk bands are very expensive, and they just don't have the money, so that has a lot to do with it as well. But when we're able to come together as a total unit, and the fans, they'll fly from all over the world just to see us because they don't have, they don't know where they're going to have that opportunity again. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. After August of 2010, I mean, I've met people that came from Italy and from China and from 
Sierra Leone, Africa, and they came from Indonesia, they came from Serbia, they came from everywhere. Because when are you coming to our country? When are you going to win? I mean, all, I've never seen it like that before. So with the networking now that we have, we're able to reach people all over the world. So that's encouraging. And um, we're working on a new album now uh, and the book because the book needs to happen because there's so many questions that are asked, whispered questions that are asked all the time. Mm-hmm. Why, why aren't you touring? What happened? How come? Why aren't you doing this? And they need to. I think that they have a right to know why. Sure, sure, they absolutely. Do. They have a right. So, yeah. when is the new music dropping? Well, we're um, we're working on it now. Uh, well, I, because I'm such a perfectionist, I, I try to take. A, I want ten hit singles. I don't want you know three or four great songs, and then the rest of them are just fillers. Mm-hmm. That's how, and that's uh, to me. That's like you know, raping your audience and, st- and stealing from them. You, you're going to save all the good stuff because you, for other albums, you don't put all your hits on one album. Why? <laughs> Why not? You know, it's just like close the eyes, close your eyes, and pick pick what you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what's mm-hmm. taking so long right now. I usually do 12 songs, uh, intro, outro. The first song, the last song are the same. I do a remix on the same album. But everything in between the number one and number 12 are singles, personally, that I would put out as a single. So we're up to about six or seven strong hit songs right now. So I need right. six more. So we're working on six more, and I believe that we're going to do a release date probably in the Bay Area that we're working on for December 2013 to do the premiere of the book and the, and the uh, new CD to come out New Year's uh, Day for January 1st. But Well, be, you will definitely have me and the Philippe Matthews Show there in full force helping promote uh, and letting the world know I'm a big, big fan. Uh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that, that just makes me feel special. Absolutely. And then we're, and then we're neighbors, too, so that helps. <laughs> Absolutely. So here's what I want to do now. We're running out of time. I would love for you to come back and uh, let's talk about you know, the next level. So let's talk about what, what's going on with the book, uh, shoring up when you guys are going to be in concert, the new music that's going to be dropping.